Have you ever been in a situation where you're alone and you just feel a little nervous for whatever's going on? Maybe you're alone and for whatever reason you just feel a little scared. And so you do probably what most of us do if you're in a situation like that. What do you, you go and you find a friend, right? And you let them in on what's going on in your life and then what's happening in your life. And then they kind of walk through it with you a little bit. And the fact that they love you enough to walk through it with you a little, a little bit, it kind of makes the situation a little bit easier, right? Happens with kids all the time. You know, you're, you put your children down to sleep. And then in the middle of the night, they wake up scared because they've had this nightmare. And so they get up and they run into your room and they wake you up and, and they're, they're kind of sweaty and they're hot and they're scared. Maybe they're crying a little bit. And they say, Mommy, Daddy, I, I just had a nightmare and it was terrible and here's what happened. And, but they come to you. They share it with you. And then what do you do? You put your arm around them. You, you hug them. You kiss them on the forehead. You assure them that everything's going to be okay. You walk them back up to their room. You, you tuck them in. You pray for them. And you, you just wait there maybe until they fall back asleep. But because you showed them love, then they had the power to go back to sleep and sleep soundly for the rest of the night. Right? This intimacy then leads to this power that they didn't have before. The churches in Asia Minor specifically the church in Ephesus, they're nervous because they think their champion, Paul, is going away, that he's not going to be around to write letters and to encourage anymore. He's imprisoned in Rome, and so they're, they're nervous. How are, we, how are we supposed to do this alone? Paul, if you're gone, what, what are we going to do? You've been kind of our spiritual leader, our spiritual mentor. What, what are we going to do? And they start looking at the situation, the circumstances, the difficulties that they might experience, and they think they're going to be left alone. So Paul, in the middle of his letter, he just kind of stops, and he prays for them. It's this great prayer in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. You know, a fascinating study is to go through and to look at the prayers of Paul. Because Paul, throughout his letters, oftentimes it's not uncommon for him just to kind of break out in prayer and to pray for these churches. In this prayer here, of all the prayers of Paul, this prayer, perhaps more than any other, gets at this connection between intimacy and spiritual authority. This connection between more love and then more impact. And I want you to see it. I want you to pray it as I preach it. And that this prayer, perhaps this morning by Paul, centuries ago, would be prayed again and answered in the life of Central uh, this morning. So Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Let's read it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Now, we know the Ephesians were having a difficult time, okay? And we know a few things about them. We know they were very demanding people. We know that they were somewhat rough on their uh, people who taught them. Uh, they became known as great scrutinizers of the truth, a very discerning people. In fact, in the early chapters of Re- Revelation, uh, Jesus, he speaks these letters to the churches that John records for us and to, se- to the seven churches. And one of those churches is the church in Ephesus. And to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I have this against you. You've lost your love. You've lost your love. Now he commends them and he says, hey, you've done a great job at being discerning. You've done a great job at standing for the truth. But you've lost your love. I mean, you've stood against the false teachers. You haven't bought into all the lies of the world, the false messages, anything like that. That's great. But you've lost your love. And in losing your love, you've used truth as a weapon. And we've all done it, haven't we? Where somebody does something and we tell them the truth, but we don't tell them the truth in a way to love them and restore them. We, we tell them the truth in a way to tear them down, to make them feel bad. Oh, we're right. But we still hurt them in the process. And so Paul, he knows the weaknesses. He, he knows this. And he's saying, you see, telling the truth isn't enough. That's what he goes on to say in chapter 4. It's not enough simply to tell the truth. It's in Ephesus, or in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says you must speak the truth in love. It's not enough just to be right. You have to speak the truth in love. In fact, you can be right and still be wrong. So Paul writes, knowing the temptation of this church and this body of believers, knowing their weaknesses, knowing that he is in chains and the discouragement that this church is feeling, knowing that they're prone to losing heart, to giving in, to throwing in the towel, to using truth as a weapon and to becoming discouraged. And so Paul writes, and he does what he often does. As he's writing, he just breaks into prayer. And the heart of this prayer is this, that the greater the intimacy that you have with God and with others, the greater love that you have for God and for others, the greater authority God will have in your life, the greater impact God will have in your life. So he starts with intimacy. And he prays that as he bows before the Father, that every family, every, family, every person who derives his or her name from heaven would be strengthened by the Spirit of God in the inner man. The fundamental job of the Holy Spirit, the most basic job of the Holy Spirit is this. It is to make the rule and the reign of Christ a reality in your life so that you experience moment by moment, day by day, the rule of Christ in your life. The role of the Holy Spirit is not some far off, mythical, ethereal, out there in outer space kind of idea that God is working somehow. No, you know the Holy Spirit is at work because the rule of Christ in your life is not just some theoretical thing that we study or read about or think about or talk about, but it's something that we experience. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to make it real. And if it's not real, it's our fault because we've somehow grieved the Holy Spirit, we've quenched the Holy Spirit, we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to do his job because the Holy Spirit's really good at his job. He doesn't, he doesn't make mistakes. But when he is allowed to work, he always makes the rule and the reign of Christ a reality in our life. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit will work in such a way that the inner man would, re, would be remodeled, that our soul would be remodeled so that Christ would be allowed to dwell in us, so that Christ would dwell in us. Because what happens spiritually, what happens internally, determines your authority, your impact externally. It's like this. Do you like popcorn? Maybe, maybe you know, football this afternoon or baseball game, whatever, and you heat up the popcorn. Maybe you're going to see a movie and, you know, hey, a nice, fresh, hot bowl of popcorn as you're watching the movie, as you're watching the game. It's kind of good. Um, a lot of people like popcorn, but we all don't know why popcorn pops, you know? Popcorn pops. It's at every... Uh, kernel of popcorn has these molecules of moisture inside of it. And so when you put the popcorn in the microwave or on the stove or whatever, and those molecules of moisture begin to heat up, it creates steam. And steam rises when it gets hot. And so when the steam rises, it begins to press against the shell of that kernel. And when the shell can't handle the pressure of what's going on internally, the steam, this heated moisture rising against it, it gives way. And you know what we hear, right? Pop, 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 pop. And we hear that, and it is this explosion of deliverance where the internal now makes itself known externally. That which is inside is expanded to the point that that which is outside can no longer hold it back. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to eat unpopped popcorn. I can't imagine that that would be a pleasant experience. Because that which is inside is meant to be expressed on the outside. And when you look at that kernel, no one would ever think that in that kernel, it has all this potential. All this internal potential is there somehow in the kernel. But when it makes itself known, you can't even find the shell anymore, right? You can't even find the Where did the outside go? That which is internal is no longer held hostage because it's been activated, one of the reasons there is so little impact, so little authority in our lives is that people are controlled not by the inside, but by their external circumstances, instead of the power that they possess on the inside. See, the way life is supposed to work is that the body is supposed to be controlled by the soul, the spirit. And so what, what your inner man tells you to do should then just explode externally. So the outside, external, will not function properly unless the internal is informing it properly. Therefore, our external function, our living, is tied to our internal restriction. But oftentimes we flip it around, don't we? in our external circumstances, then tell our inside how to feel, how to think, how to live, 
and we get the whole thing backwards. And so Paul prays that your spiritual intimacy, your inner man, will be strengthened in such a way that Christ will dwell in you. That word dwell, literally, it means to make himself at home in you. We've all used that phrase before, haven't we, right? Someone's coming over, oh, hey, nice to have you to my home. Just make yourself at home. But we don't really mean it, you know. What we mean is, hey, there's this space that we have for you here in the family room, in the living room. Feel free. Take your shoes off. Have a conversation. Watch TV. Do whatever you like there. If you want to go in the kitchen and grab something to drink, something to eat, that's fine. If you want to go out in the patio and sit down, enjoy the breeze and have a conversation there, that's, that's, that's good. But I really don't want to find you at sleep on my bed, you know. Don't just plop yourself down in the bathtub and have a bubble bath, okay? That might be uncomfortable. I don't want to find you creeping around in the basement or the attic, right? There are places that we say, no, 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 this, is, this space is not for you. Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in all of us in such a way that there are no areas in our life that are off limits. That, that there, there are no places that we say, no, no, no. That's just for me. There would be such spiritual intimacy that the rule of Christ would have authority to express himself in every area of life. That the richness of this internal reality would then express himself in the external in every moment of every day. Paul says the key to this happening is through faith. Through faith. Why do circumstances seem so big? Why does the external seem to dictate to the internal and not the other way around? Why were the Ephesians in danger of losing heart? Why do we fail? Why do we get tempted to throw in the towel sometimes? Why do we not have the impact or the authority that otherwise we ought to have? It's because our faith is failing. It's because the reality that God began at work within us seems unreal. Seems, we kind of doubt it. Can, can, can you really rescue me to a point that you're going to use me to impact people where I live, work, study, and play? I, am I really made for that? I don't, I don't know about all this. And at that moment, your faith begins to drag, and Paul says, hey, you've you got to continually walk in the Spirit. You continually need the Holy Spirit to do his job within you because he is good at his job, and he awakens our heart to believe again. He awakens us to have faith again so that it doesn't wane. Oftentimes we talk about this intimacy with God, this closeness with God, and we leave it there as if that is the goal. But Paul keeps on praying because the goal of spiritual intimacy, the goal of closeness with God is not simply intimacy. It is not simply closeness with God. The goal of intimacy is authority. It's impact. Paul prays, did you catch this? That, that being rooted and established in love, we would have the power, the strength to comprehend, to understand together with all the saints the love of Christ. Did you catch that? All of this spiritual intimacy that Paul prays is rooted and established in love, 
but it's not a love that we experience alone with God. It is a love that we experience together with the body of Christ, with the family of God. Since the age of the Enlightenment, okay, Rene Descartes, he kind of redefined how we understand truth. And it's been understood this way now for several centuries. And the, the great statement of the age in the Enlightenment was this, I think, therefore I am. Okay, and, and this has controlled reason and truth uh, in the century since. It still does today. It, it, it governs the way we think, that the role of the individual, I think, therefore I am, the role of the individual has been elevated to supreme authority. Right? It, it is the thinking individual that defines their own life. That, that the thinking individual is preeminent. That, that the way a person thinks about himself or herself defines what is ultimately true for that person. It, it trumps all else. The whole idea that uh, my truth and your truth and their truth and his truth and her truth, this all comes into play. That we all have our own truth, that we all get to define truth for ourselves, that we all get to live life however we want to live life, define it however we want to. Why? Because I think, therefore, I am. The thinking individual is preeminent in society. And we see the results of that all over the place, don't we? But if you think that I think, therefore I am, this, this elevation of the individual only affects society and not the church, don't kid yourselves, because the church has bought the same lie. We believe that the most intimate times with God, the most intimate moments with God, are those moments that we have alone with God. That the most significant Bible studies we will ever do are those Bible studies where we have our own quiet time alone with God. That we have bought this idea that, that the most important times in our life with God are experienced alone with God. It even carries over into our worship services. Right? We sing praises to God, but when we really want to make it special, when we really want to make it intimate, what do we do? We, we remove all the plural personal programs, we pronouns, we, our, and in its place, we put the singular personal pronouns, my Savior, my God, because that is more special, that is more intimate. It's in the way we evangelize. We, we tell people that they need uh, Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior, but we speak little of their need to be adopted into the family of God. But both can be true, but you see where we put the emphasis in, in society, in our culture? In our evangelical Christianity, we have, e we have elevated the thinking individual over and above the community of faith. And so just like the world, we have churches full of Christians living their lives in solitary confinement. That they resist truly relating, truly sharing. We have surface level relationships where we may know the name of the person sitting in the pew next to us, maybe a couple details, but we know little else. Because it is the thinking individual that really matters. And we end up still in the darkness of our own thinking. And so Paul prays for the church. What he prays for the church is so much more than that. 
He longs for the church to experience something so much more. The Christians would live in such transparency and close community and authenticity with one another that this power could be unleashed in us and it can be this force of change, healing a world that is dominated by alienation, isolation, loneliness. I mean, Paul prays, I want you to hear this again, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, there Paul goes again. Did you hear this prayer? Praying that the church together, the family of God, would comprehend a love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, that's a huge prayer. He's praying again, just like he did in chapter 1, that we would comprehend and understand the unknowable. Do you pray prayers like that? You see, the size of your God determines the size of your prayers. Paul, he prays to a big God. And so he prays big prayers. But oftentimes for us, we pray small prayers. Based on the external circumstances, they seem to drive our prayers instead of the internal things. Do you ever pray for the impossible? Are, are your prayers focused on external or are they focused on internal? Not that the external isn't important. It's, all, it's, it's relative, right? And the internal expresses itself out externally so that when the internal is healthy, when there is this intimacy and this closeness with God, this love for God and not just for God, did you see this? Also for the body, for the family, that when that happens, then that extends to the external. And then we're filled with the fullness of God. I mean, what, what a huge prayer that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And we read that, and again, we want to turn it back to the individual, right? That me, singular, individual, would be filled with the fullness of God. That's not what he's saying. This is a communal prayer. That the family of God would be filled with the fullness of God. That the body would have this fullness to express itself in the way it ought to to our community. And we read this, well, the fullness of God. And you might be asking, well, is God holding out on us? <laughs> I mean, is there more of God to get that we haven't gotten already? It's kind of like when Paul says, draw near to God. And you're saying, God's omnipresent. How are you supposed to draw near to an ever-present, omnipresent God? Well, the statement is not in relation to uh, physicality. It's a statement based on relationship. For instance, if I go home this afternoon and get home and I'm tired, right, and I just kind of fall asleep on the couch. In my family, they're talking, they're playing games, they're doing whatever it is they're doing. I am close to them physically, right? They're right there. But relationally... I miss it all. I, I don't, I'm not a part of their conversation. I'm not a part of the games or whatever's happening. I miss it all. Physically, I'm there. I'm near. But relationally, I'm still kind of far off. I'm, I'm, I'm away from it all. This is what he's talking about. It, it's a statement concerning relationship, not physical presence. Paul, remember, has already wrote 
to the Gentiles that God has already brought you near. Jesus, through Jesus, now you have access. There's a relationship, but you can still drift in that relationship. You can still be far off in that relationship. We, We have all the God we're ever going to get, but we can still miss the fullness if we're not relationally connected to him. But it's not just him. Do you see this? We must also be relationally connected with the family of God. This is why I'm really excited about impact groups. And they help us to do what the Bible tells us to do. And you go through and you look at the one another's in in Scripture and what it talks about and how the family of God is supposed to relate to one another. And and the Bible speaks of serving one another and being devoted to one another, to living in harmony with one another, to instructing one another, to greet one another, to have concern for one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be patient with one another, to be kind to one another, compassionate toward one another, to submit to one another, to consider one another above ourselves, to forgive one another, which means you've been sinned against, to encourage one another and build one another up, to stir each other up towards love and good deeds, to pray for one another, to offer hospitality to one another. There's all these one another's in the scriptures and how the family of God is supposed to relate to one another, but we miss a lot of that and we settle for something less because we have elevated the individual over the family. And in settling for something less, We've settled for this idea, even as it relates to to, uh, people in our community, to come, see what's happening here, see what's going on at Central, and stay. Perhaps you'll plug in this come, see, stay model of church. We settle for something less in the family, so then we experience something less. Less intimacy, and therefore less impact, less authority. We must shift to more love. We we must shift to more love. This is the prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. That your danger here, you care so much about being right. You care so much about the truth, and this is good. But if you've lost your love, you're a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. You're of no worth to be rooted and grounded in this love together with the family of God, because we cannot be complete in Christ, alone in Christ. You cannot be complete in Christ, alone in Christ. This is the message of Scripture. Why? Because we've been saved to a body. And in a body, in a family, I need to benefit from your spiritual gifts, from what you bring to the family, and you need to benefit from my spiritual gifts, what I bring to the family. It is this interdependent relationship where I cannot be full in Christ, alone in Christ, because I can't do all the functions of the body. And you can't be full in Christ, alone in Christ, because you can't perform all the functions of the body. So we got to shift to more love. It's a more love for God. It's a more love for others. And after Paul prays this, this amazing prayer, he adds this benediction. And it's a benediction that we love to quote because it speaks to the power and the authority of God. And it's, it's this, this statement that just brings excitement about our God. I want you to listen to it carefully. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God is able to do more. He does not have any kind of performance issue. Sometimes we look around and say, God, how come you're not acting here? How come society is doing what it's doing and the world is, seems like it's spiraling downward and you're not acting? What's going on? God, it's not an issue of what God can do. He can do more than we can ask or think. He can do more than we can even think to ask. God doesn't have authority problem. It's, it's not like he created his creation and now creation is just kind of spun out of his control and he's sitting there like, oh no, what am I going to do with this thing that I created? I no longer have power over it. That's not the situation at all. But notice something here. He says that God works according to the power at work within us. You understand, this is not a carte blanche statement that applies to all believers everywhere at all times. This is a verse that applies to certain believers somewhere, sometimes, because it is according to the power at work within you. What is happening in you is the determining factor. The power is there. You have all the God you're ever going to get, but it is this spiritual intimacy that determines whether or not that power is activated. If you have limited intimacy on the inside, you have limited power, authority exercised on the outside. The reason why we draw near to God is yes, we want fellowship. Yes, we want to be close to God. Yes, we want to feel like we're walking with the Lord. All that is wonderful and needed and necessary. But when you are losing heart, when you are tempted to throw in the towel, when you're tempted to say, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm giving up, when it, when it feels like hell has just broken through the walls of your life, when things that you didn't anticipate begin to happen in your world, you don't just want the feelings and the closeness. You, at that point, you want the intimacy. You want the power that comes from that intimacy because you want to be able to lay your head down and sleep again. You don't want the nightmare to control everything. You want the authority. It's like this. If I, if I go to do, uh, over to Virginia Beach to the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm having some fun at the beach, and I say, you know, I'd like to take some of the Atlantic home with me. And I bring a thimble to the Atlantic. And I dip a thimble into the Atlantic, and I pull it up, and I, I can take that thimble of the Atlantic home with me, but I can't take more than a thimble. Not because the Atlantic doesn't have more to offer, it's just, it's according to what I've got. Now, if I go to the Atlantic and I bring a glass, and I want to bring some of the Atlantic home with me, and I dip the glass into the Atlantic, I can bring a glass of the Atlantic home with me. It's more than a thimble, but it's just a glass. I can't get more than a glass. It's not that the Atlantic doesn't have more to offer, it's just according to what I brought. Now, if I go to the Atlantic and I bring a bucket, and I dip that bucket into the Atlantic because I want to bring some of the Atlantic home with me, I can bring a bucket full of the Atlantic home with me. Now, it's more than a thimble. It's more than a glass. 
but it's just a bucket. It's not because the Atlantic doesn't have more to offer. It's just according to what I brought. If I go to the Atlantic and I bring a barrel, and after I've been working out for a really long time, I dip that barrel into the Atlantic and I pull it out. I've, I've got more than a thimble. I've got more than a glass. I've got more than a bucket. But all I've got is a barrel. Not because the Atlantic doesn't have more to offer, but because it's according to what I've got. When Paul says that God can do abundantly more than we ask or imagine, this is not some theological, theoretical, serendipitous statement to make us feel good religiously. This is designed to let you know that God is seated on his throne, that he is ready to pronounce his rule and reign in your life, that he is prepared to overrule things. But he doesn't just give it out willy-nilly. It is based on your intimacy that he displays his authority, an intimacy with God the Father, the Son Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and also the family of God. It is based on that intimacy, on that love, that then the power and the authority and the impact God has in your life. Contemporary evangelicalism in America is so much like that church in Ephesus. We care so much about being right but sometimes we forget to love. We, we care so much that the truth is stated correctly. But we forget to love. Intimacy, love, it matters because your intimacy affects your impact. It affects your authority. I mean, you know this is true. You can speak the truth to somebody, but if you do not love them, what impact do you have in their life? What authority do you have in their life? You wonder why, and you look around at our society, it just doesn't happen on the individual level, it happens on a societal level. Why do we have less than 1% of the population who has stuck together and has controlled the agenda of the definition of family and has controlled the, the definition of marriage and the definition of gender in this nation? Why does it happen? How can we have churches on all of these streets and all of these towns across every state in the country with all of these members and all of these Bible studies and all of these preachers and still have this? We've got programs, we have facilities, but what we don't have is authority. We don't have impact, which means we don't have intimacy. We lack love. We care more about being right, and we forget to love. And I know there's the other end of the argument, the other problem exists as well, and it is a bigger problem. To love and to not speak truth is even bigger because that's not love at all. That's just patting someone on the back and saying, go ahead in your sin and feeling that they are now justified in their sin. I understand that. But the issue here is we care so much about being right And we can still be wrong. And we see little impact. And when we see little impact, it is because there is little intimacy. We see culture, and maybe, just maybe, we'll pass out an invite card. 
And oh boy, if we're really on top of our game that week, maybe, just maybe, we will share a gospel presentation a couple minutes long. But when's the last time that we looked at a culture and loved? Said, would you like to come over to my house for lunch? Would you like to grab coffee? Would you go, would you actually go into their house? We got so many people bringing a thimble stuck in chair one and chair two for so long, and they think they're close to God. But what they really have is religiosity. We get comfortable with our thimble. But God has so much more to offer, so much more impact that he can work in and through the family of God. But that power stems from intimacy, love. We must shift to more love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you demonstrated toward us. God the Father, that you loved the world so much, you sent your son Jesus to die for us when we were your enemies. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, that you demonstrated your love by giving your life for us. And so, Father, may, may we be people of the truth, but not simply people of the truth. May we, may we be people who speak the truth in love. Would you cause us to love better because we've been loved by you? We ask this by the power of the Spirit, through the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.